All right. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. And Lord, we're just so refreshed and renewed right now through worship and just to come together. And Lord, I assume that we've had some just, you know, Lord, most of us had some uh, a really tough week and we're tired and just going through the daily things, routines of life. But Lord, we are thankful that we're here today because Lord, we find rest in you. And so, Father, speak to our hearts today. And Father, as always, I, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, we thought that interest in my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're now in chapter 11, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 15 today. That's today's text. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. We're now in part 14 of our series, From the Heart. Everyone say, From the Heart. Now, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, and that was all of chapter 10. I gave you two points. You might remember those points. And the first point of last week's text was Paul's defense. Everyone say that. And that's in verses 1 through 14. And Paul, what he does, he defends his apostleship against the lies of his critics. His critics were the false apostles, these false teachers, these Judaizers who were legalists, who were making charges against Paul. And as he defends himself, he doesn't depend upon the tactics of the world. He, he wants to make it very clear that he, he doesn't war according to the flesh. Instead, what he does, what Paul does, he uses God's mighty weapons, say mighty weapons, to knock down Satan's strongholds, that in spiritual warfare, he, Paul, had the necessary weapons to win. And you see, Paul was well aware that it's not people that he's fighting against. They're just the instruments that the enemy, that Satan himself, uses. And Paul's like, don't forget, listen now, don't forget to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because Paul knew that the battle begins in thus it, in the mind. Paul then, what he does, he confronts his critics because they thought highly of themselves. They were commending themselves because they measured themselves by themselves and only compared themselves among themselves. <laughs> they measured themselves on, on a human scale uh, by their own standards. Their focus was just on outward appearance, not the heart. They also boasted, say boasted, about themselves. They talked about themselves, boasted about themselves, boasted beyond the gifts which they had. The second point of last week's text was Paul's desire. Say Paul's desire. And that was in verses 15 through 18. And his desire for the Corinthian believers is that their faith will grow. Paul had a heart for them and desire that they would grow in their faith. His desire is that also that God would get the glory. Unlike the false apostles and these Judaizers were, uh, were about self-glorification. Then his desire, Paul, is that he be approved by God himself. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is The Real Jesus. Everyone say that. The Real Jesus. Now, in the previous chapter, as Paul stated, the false apostles, these false teachers, these Judaizers, which we call them legalists, they were boasting about themselves about their abilities and, and trying to convince the people in the Corinthian church that they, these Judaizers and false apostles and teachers, that they were all that, that they were something special. 
This is why Paul, why he ended the previous chapter, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commands himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commands. So what Paul did, Paul saw their boasting as foolishness. And that's why he begins this chapter by saying in verse 1, look at verse 1, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. Now he says, my foolishness, but you, are, but you are already doing that. Now, we know that Paul believed that boasting was foolish, right? We know that. He makes it very clear. And yet, he was about to do it. Doesn't want to do it, but he's about to do it because he felt he had been driven to it. So I want you to follow me here. Some of the Corinthian believers were all excited. They were infatuated, mesmerized by these false apostles, by these false teachers, these Judaizers, and believed everything that they said about themselves. And Paul's like, come on, guys. Come on, people. Come on, church. Really? And so he's like, okay, I'll play your little game. If that's what you want to do, I'll play your little game. You want to talk about boasting, we'll talk about boasting. And you see, for the sake of argument, Paul is going to give into that kind of foolishness in order to speak to the Corinthian believers to address what's going on in their minds. He's going to play their game. This is why Paul lays out some reasons why he's addressing this situation. So that sets the stage, right? Four points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is Paul's jealousy. Say that. Paul's jealousy. And, and I want you to understand his jealousy over the church. It's over the church. But notice, it's a godly jealousy. Not a human jealousy, but a godly jealousy. Look at verse 2. I am jealous for you with a what? Come on, say it. Godly jealousy. I want to stop there. Again, what kind of jealousy? A godly jealousy. Jealousy. Now I want you to follow me. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, write that down. Exodus 20, verse 5, Paul says that, that God is a jealous God. That's what it says. He, God, is a jealous God. He's jealous for the reputation. Listen now, in the context of Exodus, reputation of his own people and concern about their reputation among the other nations around them. It's an intense concern. Say that, say that. Intense concern for another person's reputation or honor. This kind of jealousy, this godly jealousy, is other-centered rather than self-centered. It's not controlling, it's not possessive, it's not domineering or dominating, nor does it demand its own way. So follow me here. Godly jealousy is passionate about the ultimate good of the other person. It focuses on their honor. It focuses on their character. I love this. It desires to safeguard whatever it is it's protecting. I'm going to say it again. Okay? It desires to safeguard whatever it is it's protecting. In this case, it's love and devotion, protecting love and devotion. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, and I love it. True love is never envious, but it has the right to be jealous over those who are loved. You get that? You see, Paul compares himself to a father who is jealously protecting, safeguarding his children from danger. There's an emotional outflow from his heart because, what, he loves them. He cares for them deeply, right? 
He cares deeply about these people who are his spiritual family. Let's read on. I promised you, your Bible's going to say, uh, betrothed you to one husband. Who's that? To Christ. And here Paul uses the language of marriage. And you see, since Paul was a Jew, he uses Jewish marriage tradition. And in the Jewish culture, to be betrothed was to be engaged. It, it's the promise of a coming, say coming, it's the promise of a coming wedding. In our culture, it's an engagement ring, right? It's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. I'm just joking, right? I just want to make you guys laugh, okay? No. But in our culture, just joking, in our culture, I want to make sure you're awake, okay? I'm just joking, Julian, all right? <laughs> Julian land there, okay? It's all good. But in the Jewish form of marriage known as the uh, be, be, betrothal, the, the, the parents would, would choose a spouse for their children. Now listen, there was three distinct phases to the wedding. I want you to follow me here. The first phase was, the, was a betrothal, the formal engagement, and that lasted about a year. There was no physical contact between each other. All you did was talk to each other and get to know one another and live on that promise that within about a year that you're going you're gonna to be married to each other. The second phase was the coming of the bridegroom on the wedding day. And the bridegroom, listen now, the bridegroom would get dressed up and come to the house of the bride and get her and take her home. And I want you to get this. She had to, listen, she had to, to get up early and get dressed, get this, and be ready because he could come at any moment and take her from her father's house, her home, to the groom's home. The third phase was at the groom's home, and there was a formal ceremony, a wedding feast, a great celebration, which could last about a week, seven days, about a week. Now, if you're safe, say amen. We are in phase one. Are you guys with me? We're in phase one of that arrangement. We're engaged to Jesus. Got it? You and I, we're saved. We're engaged to Jesus. We have no physical contact with him, right? We don't see him. But we love him. We're getting to know him. Phase two is when he comes and raptures the church. Right? To himself and takes us to his home. He will literally sweep us off our feet. Yeah? Phase three is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the wedding feast. Now if you're saved, say amen. Listen, though we're referred to the bride of Christ, and we are, the Bible refers us to the bride of Christ. The wedding hasn't taken place yet. Got it? So when, it's gonna, so when is this going to happen? Well, very clear. I said once we're raptured, right, and in his presence, that's when the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. That's the wedding feast. But until then, we're not married. Say we're not married to Christ. We're engaged to him, okay, betrothed to him, Meanwhile, we, the body of Christ, we, the church, get this now, must keep herself pure and committed as she prepares to marry her husband, Jesus Christ. Got it? And that's what Paul's driving at. That's exactly what he's driving at. You see, his jealousy is not only a godly jealousy, but also a goal-oriented jealousy. Say goal-oriented 
let's read on. Look at the goal, the goal here. So that I might present you as a pure, what? Virgin to him. That's the goal. I promise you, betrothed you, right, to Christ. You're engaged but not married yet. The wedding is still upcoming. It's going to come. Until then, I, Paul saying, have every desire to present you the church, you the church, the Corinthian church, church believers, as a pure virgin to Christ. And Paul is pictured here as a father giving away his bride. And I want you to remember back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul already called himself, what, their father, their spiritual father. Now, in the Jewish marriage tradition, stay with me now, it was the duty of the father to watch over his daughter in such a way as to present her on her wedding day to her groom as a pure virgin, undefiled by any other man. That was the father's responsibility. The father's going to make sure on that wedding day, on the wedding day, to present his daughter as a pure virgin. And you see, Paul was the one who brought the gospel to Corinth. He's the one who planted the church in Corinth. And he was their shepherd, their spiritual father. Therefore, Paul felt the responsibility, are you guys with me? To help keep the Corinthian believers stay faithful to Christ, to remain pure, unblemished, undefiled, wholeheartedly committed to their husband, Jesus Christ. It was Paul's passion to present them to Christ undefiled. Are you guys with me? So here's the lesson. Remain wholeheartedly committed to Jesus. Remain wholeheartedly committed to Jesus. Hey, he's coming back. The Bible's very clear. He's coming back for us. But until they, me, until, until then, we must remain wholeheartedly committed to him. So therefore, friends, we need to stay away from anything and everything that will defile our walk with him. Got it? I don't know what that is for you. But listen, we should strive every single day to do our best to walk in purity and in righteousness and holiness because he's coming back someday. Amen? And that when he comes back, he's coming back for a pure church, unblemished. Right? Without spot or wrinkle. And you see, Paul had a godly, goal-oriented jealousy. It was his passion and desire to safeguard, say safeguard, the love and devotion. There it is, the love and devotion that the Corinthian believers had for Christ. But now, Paul's saying, but now that love and that devotion is beginning to be stolen by these false apostles. Stolen by these false teachers, these Judaizers. And Paul's like, they're drawing your attention. Listen, church, he's telling them, listen, church, they're drawing your attention, your focus away from Christ and on to them. Which brings us right into the second point is Paul's concern. Say that. We saw Paul's jealousy. Number two is Paul's concern, his concern regarding the church. Notice, I want you to notice what Paul fears. Look at verse 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul's concern, listen, he's concerned for the, 
for the fear that Satan will deceive the Corinthian believers as he once deceived Eve. Now notice why he fears. First of all, we saw what he fears, now why he fears. He's concerned that the Corinthian believers, listen now, are already, are already, are already, uh, are ready to believe, she's ready to believe anything that they hear. In other words, they're gullible. And here what he does, he describes how gullible they are. Look at verse 4. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you received, you put up with it easily enough. Did you get that? Paul's like, you guys are putting up with what you guys are doing. You're tolerating these false apostles, their false teachings, and you're putting up with a different Jesus, a different spirit, and you're putting up with a different gospel. A different Jesus, he says, right? Well, you know what, friends? False teachers and preachers will talk about Jesus. It may even sound biblical and sound right, but they're fooling you. Listen, I want you to get this. Just because someone talks about Jesus, just because someone says Jesus' name doesn't necessarily mean they're talking about the real Jesus. Anyone can say Jesus. Anyone can say that. And Paul's saying you're, you're listening to a different Jesus. They're preaching a different Jesus. Follow me here, friends. The Mormon Jesus is one of many gods and is the spirit brother of Lucifer. The Jehovah's Witness Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Also, that they say that Jesus was a created being. The Eastern religion Jesus is one of many enlightened ones who show us how to reach peace within ourselves. Others include Krishna, Buddha, and Mauritius. The Muslim Jesus, Jesus is neither God nor the Son of God. He was just a prophet, and he was not crucified. He was not divine. And then you have the heresy that there are other ways to God, that Jesus is not the only way to God. Well, what does John 14, 6 say? That's right. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father. No one, say no one, except by me. There's only one way to one person. His name is Jesus. How about a different spirit? Because Paul is saying, this is not the Holy Spirit that you're listening to. Because they received from a false message a different spirit. A spirit of bondage, a spirit of fear. The spirit of being judgmental of everyone else. And then he says a different gospel, right? Now I want you to write this down, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are, listen, listen to what he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again. So he had to say it again. 
I got to say it again. Anybody who's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. There's only one gospel. There's only one true gospel. Are you guys with me? The gospel, listen now, that proclaims the deity of Jesus Christ as the eternal second member of the Trinity. The gospel that proclaims salvation as a free gift, say free gift, of God purchased at the cross by Christ and available without works, someone say amen, based on his death and bodily resurrection. Any other gospel, friends, listen now, any other gospel different from the real gospel is destructive, right? Listen, if you have a different Jesus, then you end up with a different spirit, with, and then you end up with a different spirit, you end up with a different gospel, you end up with a different salvation. <laughs> it's not a salvation at all. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Be discerning. Be discerning. We got to be discerning. Some of the Corinthian believers lack discernment. Their hearing to these false teachers led to tolerance, then to acceptance. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We should never, listen now, tolerate false teaching. Are you with me? We have to be discerning because the same terms Jesus Holy Spirit or spirit or gospel can be used, but with such different definitions by others. This is why we need to be discerning. Are you guys with me? So that being said, how can we guard ourselves from error like that which was trying to push itself into the Corinthian church? Well, I'm glad you asked. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Don't believe every spirit. Write that down. Say that. Don't believe every spirit. 1 John 4.1. Love what he writes here. 1 John 4.1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Did you guys get that? But, but what? Test the spirits. You have the right to test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to test the spirits. That's your God-given right to do. Amen? Check them out. And don't be gullible. It is okay, I'm going to say this, it's okay to have a healthy level of skepticism. <laughs> okay? Check them out. Don't believe every spirit. How about this? Know God's word. Know God's word. This is how we can be discerning. Know God's word, okay? Use the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, his voice to us, right? His love letter to us. Use the scriptures to compare and contrast right from wrong, truth from error, the authentic from the artificial. This is why you and I need to be in the word of God daily. Christians, huh? I want to write this down in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says this, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
says this, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And this is what he says. But solid food, say that, food is for the mature, who by constant use, what? Constant use, have trained themselves, love this, to distinguish good from evil. Are you with me? You want to know truth from error, good from evil, authentic from the artificial, be in the Word. This is your safeguard. Know your Word. Know your Word. Know the real thing. Got it? So don't believe every spirit. Know the Word. How about this? Stay connected to the body of Christ. I can't tell you how important that is, that you and I need to stay connected to the body of Christ. Don't leave the confines of God's appointed safe haven called the church. As we come together, guess what we do? We grow together, right? And and because we grow together in the Word, we're keeping each other accountable. And this is why it's important to be in church. Why? So you can know God's Word. So the preachers and teachers here, pastors and teachers here, can teach you the Word of God so you'll be well equipped to know truth from error. Are you with me? There's just something beautiful about corporate worship. Are you with me? And I know there's folks that are not coming back yet. I get that. But man, I tell you, it is awesome to be in person. Yeah? So don't believe every spirit. Know God's word. Stay connected to the body of Christ. That's how we can be discerning. Got it? So Paul's jealousy, Paul's concern, number three, is Paul's service. Say that. And here we see Paul's service, his service to the church, to the Corinthian church. Listen to what Paul says in light of these false apostles, these Judaizers being expert boasters, okay? Verses 5 and 6, if you're still with me, say amen. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles, okay? Being sarcastic here. Verse 6, I may not be a trained speaker. Did you get that? Don't want to stop there because according to the standards of Greek Rhetoric, Paul was untrained in speech. And you see, in his day, the ability to speak in a polished, sophisticated, entertaining way was very popular. They loved, people loved when someone would talk and, and speak in a uh, polished, sophisticated, entertaining way. But that didn't matter to Paul. Paul didn't care about that, friends. He was a down-to-earth preacher. Remember I said that several weeks ago? He was a down-to-earth preacher. He didn't use big or impressive words. He didn't try to impress his listeners with philosophical terms. Instead, he spoke a simple message. He was only concerned with faithfully preaching the gospel. And that was the difference, a difference, between the preaching of Paul and the preaching of these super so-called apostles. And he says, but I do have knowledge. Did you get that? I may not be a trained speaker, but what? I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Paul's like, you know what? Paul's like, don't be taken in by their looks or by their charisma, by their charm. Yeah, perhaps they look better than me. Uh, Perhaps they preach more eloquent than me, and have more impressive credentials than me. But guess what? I have knowledge. I have knowledge. 
untrained in speech, Paul's saying, I'm untrained in speech, but I have knowledge. I know what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I know what I'm talking about. They don't. They don't. See, Paul is, is, is gently reminding the Corinthian believers when he spent time with them and simply says, did you hear God's wisdom and knowledge when I came and spoke to you? Paul had spent quite a bit of time with them. I mean, he, he patiently taught them about Jesus. He, he had written letters to them about what? Theological issues, right? He showed that he had knowledge from God. I may not be well trained, untrained. I may be untrained in speech, but guess what? I have knowledge. Verse 7, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? In other words, Paul's saying, did I sin in not charging you for preaching the gospel? I mean, did you guys like lose respect for me because I didn't charge you? And I want to tell you, friends, what, in, 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 that, in the culture of that day, if a public speaker didn't take money for his preaching or speaking, he was often disregarded as a poor speaker with worthless teaching. And so they viewed Paul as one as being poor in speech and worthless in teaching because he didn't take their money. Are you guys with me? Verse 8, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Now I want to say this. Paul didn't really rob the other churches, okay? You guys with me? Say, Paul's a thief, man. No, no, no. He's talking about how he took the gifts from the other churches to live on while he ministered to the Corinthian church. He's using this figure of speech to emphasize how he wasn't being supported by the Corinthian church while ministering to them. If you got it, say got it. Verse 9. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. And I want to stop there. Well, Paul's simply saying, man, if you could just hear his heart, it's like when I was with you guys, when I was serving you guys, when I was ministering to you guys, I didn't have any money for food. Uh, when my clothes and my sandals were wearing out, I didn't, listen, I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you guys to pick up a love offering for me. And technically, Paul's saying, technically, you guys should have been supporting me, but I never asked for that support. Let's read on. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, good old Macedonia, right, supplied what I needed. And I believe he's speaking specifically to the church of Philippi. He says, I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Paul's like, did I wrong you for not asking you for support? Huh, did I? And I want to tell you, friends, I believe one of the reasons why Paul never asked the Corinthian believers for support was because he didn't want them to question his sincerity for why he preached the gospel to them. Are you guys with me? Verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? He says, God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under, this is what he says, cut the ground from under those 
who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. You guys get that? What Paul wanted to do here, Paul wanted to challenge, he wanted to challenge the Corinthian believers to look into this and see and understand that these false apostles, that these Judaizers, that these legalists, false teachers, were only in it for the money. Just to fill their pockets with money. Which brings us right into the fourth point is Paul's warning. Say that. Paul's jealousy, Paul's concern, Paul's service. For is Paul's warning. Here he's, he warns the church. It's his warning to the church. Now back in verse 5, Paul called the false teachers super apostles, right? Super apostles. But here he takes his gloves off. Paul's ready now. He takes his gloves off and he unmasks them. They're not really apostles, guys. I know they say they are. They say they come with truth. They boast about all of their their credentials and, and so forth, he says, but they're, they're not really apostles at all. And what he does, Paul, what he does, he exposes them for who they really are. Why? Because Paul loves the church. Paul loves his people. And that's what good shepherds do. Amen? Verses 13 through 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful Workmen. That literally means literally means bait for fish. In other words, they're cunning, contriving, scheming, catching. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. You guys get that? Verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Paul's like, hey, they're imitators, man. They're imitators. In fact, they emulate the one they serve. And who's the one they serve? Satan. These guys, Paul says, are emulating the devil, Satan himself. They're imitators, emulating him. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Emulate the one you serve. These guys are emulating the one they serve, the devil, Satan. We as believers need to emulate the one we serve. Paul, obviously, right, emulated the one he served, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Do you emulate the one you serve? Let me put it this way. And if you do emulate the one you serve, and hopefully it's Jesus Christ, people ought to see Jesus in your life. People ought to see a difference in your life. They ought to see the light of Christ in your life. Amen? Because if we serve Jesus, if we worship Jesus, then we ought to emulate the one we serve. Got it? And hopefully we do that. Look at, look at the text again. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of what? Light. Hey, when someone says to you, hey, guess what? I saw an angel. When someone says that to you, you should respond, was it a good one or a bad one? Yeah? 
Remember what Paul said, but even if we are, excuse me, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Listen, it's Satan himself who's behind all of this. All of this. And he loves to work by imitation. And what he looks like on the outside is not what he looks like on the inside, friends. Now get this, Satan comes as a serpent. I want you to get this. Satan comes as a serpent who deceives, as a lion who devours, and as an angel who dupes. I'll say it again, I'm going to say it again. Yeah? Satan comes as a serpent who deceives, as a lion who devours, and as an angel who dupes. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 16, write that down. There, Satan's name is Lucifer. You guys know that? His name is Lucifer, which means what? Light bearer. That's what Lucifer means, light bearer. In fact, he was one, Lucifer was one of God's most beautiful creations. He was an angel of worship. He's beautiful. That being said, Satan has beauty. He does. And he's not this ugly dude, you know, that, that we picture with a red, right, with, with a red suit with horns going, ah, okay? He has beauty. Be careful. So be very careful of taking everything at face value. Verse 15. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. In the end, what Paul says, they, speaking of these false teachers, these false apostles, Judaizers, will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And here, Paul literally describes these men as what? Servants of Satan. These guys are servants of Satan. They do as their master does. So just as Satan can do impressions of God, and he can, Satan's servants can do fairly good disguises of God's servants. You see, this is why we need real discernment, friends. I think, I think the church in general is lacking discernment. And they're accepting a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. It's scary. The church needs real discernment. First impressions aren't always accurate. Are you with me? So, so as, we, as we wrap this up, this is why here at Cry Out, we're going to stick to the Word of God. Yeah? We're going to stick to the Word of God we're going to continue to preach and teach and learn from God's Word. We're going to continue to hold fast. Say hold fast. To His Word. Until He comes back for us. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank You, Lord.